If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Welcome from Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Let us bow our heads together. It was Quitter's Day last Friday, Holy One, the day when experts say most of us have quit our New Year's resolutions. Two weeks is too much for most of us. The rest of us are not far behind. Of course, we could always pick them back up again. If we could quit being so hard on ourselves, we might. Actually, we could use some help with other things that we can't seem to quit. So please, help us to quit thinking we aren't enough, for you have declared us to be good, very good. Help us to quit being afraid, for you have given us a spirit not of timidity, but of power, of love, and self-discipline. Help us to quit being anxious, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present our requests to you, for you have promised us peace that surpasses all understanding. Help us to quit holding back tears and hiding from our grief, for we have been assured that those who mourn shall be comforted. There are more things that we need to quit, but we'll just start there. We know this isn't going to be easy, Holy One, but we know that we'll have lots of chances. Every day, every decision, every moment, another opportunity to quit insecurity, quit fear, quit worry, quit denial. Be our ever-present help as we let them go, pick them back up, and then work to quit them again. We pray in the name of our teacher, Jesus, who showed us how to quit letting death have the final say. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. 
Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give my thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in God, in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will also strengthen you to the end, so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By God you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Here we go again, starting off the year with the mildly awkward Christian practice of reading other people's mail. It really actually is not that it's awkward. It's that most people know it's illegal to open mail that isn't addressed to you. There is a federal law that makes it a crime to do so. A federal statute makes it illegal to open correspondence addressed to someone else. When that happens, the U.S. Postal Inspection Service comes for a visit. The USPIS is the country's first and oldest federal law enforcement agency created to audit postal accounts and investigate theft of mail or postal funds. And you may be today years old and be learning about the USPIS for the first time, but the USPIS made nearly 6,000 arrests in 2019, and in 2020, they arrested former White House chief strategist Steve Bannon for his scheme to defraud donors using a crowdfunding campaign that promised a U.S.-Mexico border wall. The USPIS is not here to play. <laughs> Mayflower's own beloved Bob Bearden served as a mail carrier for decades and decades, and he would now gently remind me to say that the federal statute prohibiting obstruction of correspondence cannot be applied if you didn't recognize that the mail wasn't yours when you opened it. Like when you grab everything out of the mailbox, dump it all, all on the table, and then just start indiscriminately opening envelopes, praying that there's something in there other than bills. Of course, we cannot use that excuse that we didn't know. I, I mean, it's right there in the first verse that we get notification that this letter is not to us. To the church of God that is in Corinth, those are the magic words. To the church of God that is in Corinth, that is not us. We are the church of God that is in Northwest Oklahoma City. <laughs> and I am making this point because if you do not want to be part of this illegal activity, the parking lot is that way. <laughs> and people have left before after similar concerns that we're flouting the law. Some of you may not know this, and the rest of you are just used to this congregational shenanigan. But five years ago, this congregation voted 
to break federal law, if necessary, to become a sanctuary church. An overwhelming majority of us voted to use our church building as a short or long-term residence to shield individuals and families from deportation actions and to knowingly transport undocumented immigrants with the understanding that those actions could lead to the arrest of those responsible on felony charges. While we were never asked to host anyone, our subsequent immigration justice work did mean that the Homeland Security sent an agent in full tactical gear to meet with the pastor. We spent most of that meeting talking about what kind of church hires a woman as a pastor. <laughs> and also me explaining the difference between Church of Christ and United Church of Christ. All of which you too can learn more about at the next new member class after worship on February 5th. But back to the mail. The matter of legality is, of course, tongue-in-cheek, while Paul, and I cannot stress this enough, Paul had no idea that his letter would be read as scripture by all of us. That's what happened. So the legality is not really a cause for concern. The USPIS is not coming for us. Paul was writing to a local church as their pastor to settle arguments, help them think theologically, and give instructions for living in community. It has long been Christian tradition to read these letters as if Paul were writing to us. And as it turns out, we are still struggling with some of the same issues. And, and that actually might be why some of us want to head to the parking lot now. The substance of the letter can be problematic. It starts immediately in this particular letter of Paul's, right there in the second verse, the phrase, called to be saints together. And whether we pick that phrase apart word by word, what does it mean to be called? What does it mean to be saints? What does it mean to be together? Or if we take it all at once, called to be saints together, all of the sudden, we're thinking maybe it's not a great idea to read someone else's mail. What does it mean to be called or to have a calling? Our questions of calling, notes author Arthur Riley Cole, tend to be more aspirational than introspective. We spend a jarring amount of time asking young people what jobs they might have one day. What do you want to be when you grow up? The implication being that we are what we do, our calling is our job, our work, which is why people get confused and think that we are human doings instead of human beings. What often goes unspoken is that what we do when we grow up isn't always up to us. Not everyone gets choice, equity, and dignity in their work. Many are explicitly denied it. Black Americans have always known this. Indeed, this is what the man we honor this weekend continues to ask us to do something about. Perhaps it would help everyone, but particularly white Americans, to reframe the question, instead of, what do you want to be when you grow up? Perhaps we might ask, 
how do you want to be when you grow up? It is of much greater interest to me, writes Cole, to talk about how I'm going to do the work with integrity. How am I going to protect dignity as I work and what truths are calling out to me as I work? You may think we are called to holy things that involve praying on your knees and going to church, and maybe we are, but I haven't known God to regulate where holiness happens. I think they injected it into every bit of everything, and I imagine they are very concerned with every element of life, including our work. And why wouldn't they be? As a writer, I have to think that God cares deeply about the words on this page. If it's true that God made the whole world with the simple utterance of words, I think it's very possible they would allow for a sacred power in mine and that this would allow me to commune with the divine in some mysterious way and even that the craft and work of writing would have something to say about how the world hangs together, something to say about the divine. I could say the same about nearly every job or scheme. About math, look at the equations in the leaves and the shells. God was the first mathematician. Or about art, look at that sunset, the curve of your lips. God was the first artist. And not only does God care about washing floors with excellence, Christians tell the story of a God who got on his hands and knees one night and washed filth from the feet of the disciples. Excellence may be a part of calling, but work itself is a meeting place for the divine as we experience a God who labors beside us. Martin Luther King Jr. said, even if it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, go on out and sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures, sweep streets like Handel and Beethoven composed music, sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry, sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. Perhaps this, then, clears up misunderstandings we have about what called to be saints means. That's really another part of the text that's so troubling. Last week I made a big deal about church being a place of practice, not a place of perfection, and then here we are talking about how we're not just called, but called to be saints which we sometimes use as a catch-all word for perfect, unblemished, unbothered, holier than thou. The modern use of the term assumes that a person has managed to rise to an extraordinary level of moral performance. So to have someone call us, or for someone to designate themselves as a saint, is almost certainly an embarrassment of inappropriateness. but that is not what we learn from the text. New Testament scholar Reverend Jane Lancaster observes, I have heard many a preacher or teacher give the definition of saintliness as holy, set apart. 
But that way of rendering the word into English is misleading. A more accurate definition might be dedicated, because holiness is not about putting a distance between oneself and others. It refers to being dedicated by God to a specific purpose in the world for the benefit of the whole of creation. That sense of being dedicated to God's purpose for one's whole community is seen here in the text where Paul congratulates the Corinthians for the strength of their witness and how they treat one another and how they come together as the assembly of God. Their actions toward everyone they encounter are a witness to God's justice, peace, and mercy. So the good news is that being a saint is not about moral rectitude. The bad news is that saints are those who are dedicated to the ways of God, which means all of us are eligible, and not just eligible, called. But what do I do to answer this call, you might be wondering? What can I possibly do myself that will make a difference? And this, again, is the troubling part of Paul's letter. He doesn't make the call to be saints only to individuals. We are called together, called to be saints together, all of us as a bunch, a group, a posse, a gaggle, a collection, a crowd, a band, a flock, otherwise known as a congregation. We are called to be saints together. The gospel is only personally salvific if it is socially redemptive. The challenges we face will take all of us to address climate change, a culture of violence, white supremacy, division, competition for natural resources, maladaptive masculinity, xenophobia, transphobia. Now, as then, the world's hope rests on the dedication of our response to God's call to justice, peace, and mercy in our particular context and to embody God's love all the way to the end. Or to say it another way, the world's hope rests on our response to the call to be saints together. So it is that tonight at 6.30, we are supporting our siblings at Temple B'nai Israel for their cross-cultural Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. program. Anti-Semitism is on the rise, friends, and Christians have got to shut it down. Perhaps the only thing that outpaces the rise of anti-Semitism is the rise of white Christian nationalism, and white Christians have a duty to be clear that that is not faithful. Our call to be saints together is why we're huddling up right after worship next Sunday to find our spot in the serving line as we feed our neighbors experiencing homelessness downtown. Or maybe it's to volunteer for the role of baking the casseroles that are served. Or maybe 
It's just donating $5 to buy the casserole that someone else bakes, that someone else serves because we're called to be saints together. This is why we're going to show up at the Voice Delegates Assembly just a few hours after that meeting because we'll be plotting with other saints how to keep demanding fully funded public education, demanding economic justice, and demanding criminal justice. So many challenges need the attention of those of us who are called to be saints together, including the anti-transgender bills that have been filed and more that will be filed in the upcoming legislative session. There's a panel on Monday, January 23rd at First Unitarian to start the conversation about how we can advocate for our trans beloveds. There will be later opportunities to send postcards to representatives, family and friends and voters in rural and conservative parts of Oklahoma. We are not just called to complain about hatefulness and bigotry. We are called to bridge the gap, to not lose hope, to keep the faith, to change hearts and minds with love all the way to the end. What, I wonder, what would it be like for a whole church to live into its call to be saints together? I guess there's just one way to find out. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.